Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to the next episode of JT and the Don. I am the Don Donato Bucci, and this is the Big 5-0, episode 50. And we are thankful to all of our family, friends, and you, our loyal listeners, for making it to the 50th episode. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you find your favorite podcast. And please remember to leave us a five-star review. So without any further ado, let me welcome in everyone's favorite, JT Jimmy Thompson. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I feel like we're going to have a lot to discuss today. There's a lot of things going on in the world that require important conversation. We do, we do. And, and with that, uh, to our listeners out there, JT and I uh, would like to uh, before we get into the main topics, um, you know, address some of the things that are going on throughout the country. JT. Here on the JT and the Don All Sports Podcast, we strive to discuss the hottest topics in the sports world. As a part of staying on top of sports stories, we believe it's important to discuss the social impact sports can have in our country. Thus, this show will have a slightly different tone than our usual show because we are dedicating the entire episode to the social justice issues currently being discussed in our country. The protests that have ensued from the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery have not only impacted the country in general, but it has significantly impacted the sports world. We will delve into some of the statements, comments, and opinions of some of the most influential sports figures. While this may not be the most comfortable of topics, both the Don and I feel it's important to have this show in which we can discuss these topics and have open conversations. Finally, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of George Floyd, who was laid to rest earlier this week. JT also say, you know, thank you to you for always um, having these conversations based on race with me. I mean, we've had these sort of converse conversations basically since the time we met for, for nine years and you've always answered my questions without judgment, I'm sure sometimes you're thinking, man, what a stupid question. No, but, never, man. <laughs> but, you know, it has allowed me to, to learn. And even though I have a lot more to learn, I, I am fortunate that you can, you know, help, help me with that, especially with issues, the issues that are going on, you know, throughout the country today. So I also did, you know, want to, want to say that to you before we get started on, uh, on our, show and topics today. Um, so let's start with probably one of the biggest sport um, topics relating to specific comments. That was Drew Brees. Uh, during an interview with Yahoo Finance, Drew Brees stated that he will, in, quote, in quotes here, never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. And then um, when he was asked during the interview to revisit Colin Kaepernick's 2016 protest of police brutality against minorities. 
The next day, he apologized that his comments were, quote unquote, insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy, end of quote. Later, JT Brittany Breeze, the wife of Drew, said on Sunday, unfortunately, that they have, uh, this past Sunday, that they have, re- unfortunately, that they have received Uh, death threats over those specific comments by Drew Brees. So JT, just what was your initial overall reactions to those specific comments by Drew Brees regarding the uh, disrespecting the flag? Well, first of all, I think that Drew Brees definitely realized this, this because he, when he, when he initially said this, I don't think he thought that it would get this much traction and it would blow up to be this big of a story. But I think he immediately realized that not only did he probably make one of the biggest mistakes of his life or maybe his career, but he realizes that there's just going to be some people that he can't go back with once he made this statement. But I'll give Drew Brees credit in this regard. He owned up to what he said. He seems to be walking. He seems to be you know walking the talk. And I don't know if you heard this, but I read a report um from a reporter on Twitter that when he initially had that conversation face to face, or I I think it was on a, on a zoom call or however they got together that he was almost to the point of crying when he was addressing his teammates. So the emotion was there as far as, as far as him being sorry for it. So I I at least got to give Drew Brees respect for that. And I'll say this, we say this all the time. It's, it's America. He has the right to feel what he wants to, but you got you got to understand the climate and the situation of what's going on. First of all, you had these same opinions back in 2016 about the anthem and the flag and that stance, and nobody nobody batted an eye when Drew Brees said this. Obviously, Colin Kaepernick had his stance, and that whole situation happened. I just can't believe that since 2016, not only has Drew Brees not had a conversation it seems like with his teammates about his opinions and what their opinions are on this subject matter i can't believe that he didn't do that and i can't believe that he didn't have the self awareness to despite you having this this these beliefs to say to myself i am a face of the nfl on the face of new orleans i'm the face of the saints franchise now is not the time for me to say this. It is not about me. It is about the guys that I call my brothers and my family within that locker room on that team. This is about them right now. This is about their pain, the injustices that they're facing in their community. And I can have my opinion about what is disrespectful to this country, but I want to voice my support for them in their situation more so than what I feel. And he didn't do that. What he did was basically double down with authority what he exactly what he felt and what he said in 2016. So I think when you see the outrage from, I'll say, the NFL players and fans that really like Drew Brees is I think that Drew Brees is one of those guys who got the reputation of he's one of the good guys in the NFL, like no matter what color. He is one of those guys that, you know, we see in the community doing things in New Orleans. He is, for all intents and purposes, a stand-up guy. And I think his 
selfishness in that moment is what hurt a lot of people because they didn't expect that from him. It was really a shock. And going back to my point about him not probably having a conversation with his teammates since his original 2016 comments, um, one thing that he really said that stood out to me in that interview was he was really making his point about, you know, why he thinks you should stand for the anthem and respect the flag. And he made a very good point about his grandparents and how they served in war and like, you know, how that is emotional for him. And that's why he takes so much pride and respect. But when you're saying that you're you're 100 percent right, he can feel that way. But let's be honest in that time whether you're black or white, most likely everybody's grandparents were fighting in war. That's just that's what the times were. And then for him to just generalize saying, well, you know, my grandfather are basically heroes and, you know, they did X, Y, and Z for this country. That's true. But guess what? There's a lot of black players and black teammates in your own locker room whose grandparents served with your grandparents, went through the same experiences. And they didn't come home to a hero's parade in America. They didn't come home to that same situation that your grandparents came home to. They came home to Jim Crow and still segregation and, you know, not being recognized by the American military. So I think that's what really took back for me that he just didn't have enough self-awareness to say, I need to be talking with my teammates about this really essentially for four years. And that's where that's where I, I took the most out of it. Now, you brought up a, a good uh, point about the death threats, which to me, regardless of what he said, I don't condone the death threats at all. One hundred percent. I don't think anybody should die or receive death threats over words. But for the people that are upset about that. Let me just put this into perspective for you. Let me give you a list of people that received death threats. So going back to that same situation with the black men that served in his military with his grandparents, those same black soldiers that came back home, they returned to America, they received death threats. Jackie Robinson received death threats just for crossing the color line in baseball. Colin Kaepernick, the guy who was basically taking the other side of the opinion that you believe in, that people are backing you for saying that you should, shouldn't be receiving death threats for because Colin Kaepernick had the opposite opinion, he received death threats. I'll take it a step further. I'm pretty sure some of your fellow NFL players and teammates who took the same stance as Colin Kaepernick starting back in 2016 and spoke out against racism and social injustice, I'm pretty sure they received death threats. And finally, Martin Luther King Jr., who if you look on social media right now, he is the beacon of the right way to peacefully protest that everybody's throwing out there right now. He received death threats. And guess what? Those death threats ultimately came true because he was killed. So I just think that hopefully he gets this. I think what I took away from this is Drew Brees needed perspective in the worst way. And I think he'll get it from those guys in the locker room this season because of the strong backlash. So I think this is probably one of the best things that can happen to him in his life, that his eyes were open. And now he'll have the opportunity to sit down and learn and listen to his teammates. Yeah, that was, that was well said, uh, JT. And, and just to, to somewhat piggyback off of that. Yeah, I, I don't understand on the part of Drew Brees how he didn't see the bigger picture here originally. 
um, with the kneeling during the anthem. Because you have to remember, too, there's photos of him on social media of him taking a knee at that time, too. So, you're Which I of, almost forgot about. Yeah, you're kind of contradicting your own words when you say that what – what did he exactly say? That he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag. So if you believe kneeling is disrespecting it, well, you did the same thing. So were you just doing it at the time because everyone else, like you felt you had to fall in line in a way and not stand out? But anyway, um, he obviously now knows it wasn't about trying to disrespect the flag. But again, I don't know how he missed the mark to begin with. So to reiterate what you said, his comments were mistimed, misplaced, and actually added to the problem at this time because it took away from what people were trying to convey, right? The attention went to him, went to his comments and took away from, from the movement. Um, and I think his apology though, at least he indicates he's aware of why his comments missed the mark or as he put it. So I do believe there was a genuine, uh, apology behind his words i don't know if you agree or disagree with that and a lot of people are saying oh it's because of the backlash he took and listen i'm not going to deny that I, I think it was a lot of the backlash but at the same time if he missed the bigger picture now he sees it and apologizes i've got to believe those are that's a genuine apology but anyway i think again that i don't understand how he just didn't get it in and, and like you said why he's saying it at at, at that time well now, I'll, t- I'll tell you what i don't i don't mean to cut you off but maybe maybe this can maybe shed some perspective on why i think he missed the mark and this is you tell me if I, if you think i'm right or wrong this is why i i genuinely believe when he when i hear him say that he's sorry i do believe that he feels this way i think you got to look at because i obviously i was you know researching a little bit about drew Brees that i didn't know and what I found out was, you know, he's from Texas, so he grew up pretty, pretty well. Like his parents made a lot of money. I think there were two attorneys that did really well. And then you couple that with it, like it's a military family too. Like they're very proud about that. So I think that's just the way he, that's just in his DNA. That's the way he's brought up. Like he's been brought up to be proud of American heritage, proud to be, you know, proud about the flag, be proud about the anthem. So I just think that it's so ingrained in his head mm-hmm. that he just couldn't see anything else outside of that. And then because he said he said the same thing in 2016 and nobody really said anything. It's just I think because of what's going on right now in the world, this was the time that if you said that again with those same beliefs, it was going to be a wake up call. And it's a sign that you need to have a conversation with those you consider close to you. Right. And I don't think that, um, you know, I think you should be proud to be an American. And and again, I think it it goes back to the miss, just the mistiming of it. Like he kind of made it about himself. And, and I hate seeing that from him because you want to believe that, and we don't know him personally. So you want to believe that he is a truly good guy based on some of the things you said in terms of, uh, how we've seen. Yeah. What do we, what we've seen, what we've seen him do in action, uh, helping, especially after Katrina and going there from San Diego to New Orleans. But I think it's going to affect a little bit of how people do look at him. Um, and 
you know, I don't know if people are right or wrong about that and they're entitled to, to their opinions. Um, what I do want to talk about, if we're talking about opinions, you see a lot of people coming out and defending Drew Brees, like, oh, it's just his opinion. Why are these players attacking him? Well, what I would say in response to that is, well, same people that are defending Drew Brees didn't defend Colin Kaepernick when his opinion was, I'm going to take a knee during mm -hmm. the anthem in order to do a peaceful protest of police brutality, right? Freedom of speech works both ways. Exactly. It was not against the law to do that. There was nothing in the NFL CBA that said he could not do that. So the same people that are defending Breeze, I've got to look and say, well, you seem to be the same people that were really giving Kaepernick a, a tough time about his freedom of speech and his opinion. So that right there, I think, JT, that like microcosm of, of the, not the debate, but of, of the opinion part, like, oh, people defend Breeze, he should be allowed to voice his opinion, but don't defend Kaepernick. I really think that is just a microcosm of everything going on right now, right? It's like people just are not seeing, you know, what's going on. Like they're just ingrained on you know their side and then that is it right they're not yeah. having these conversations like we have because i think you've mentioned a lot of stuff you know both for and against drew Brees here right we've talked about how he's done good things but at the same time this this quote his comments just told he, he was wrong all right and what i want to say about the death threats is definitely unexcusable i mean it, and I think you've said it right. I don't think words should ever amount to death threats or into those actions of, of a death. And um, I didn't think of it the way you did in terms of the previous things that uh, black soldiers coming back, receiving death threats. So I didn't even look at it that way. That was you, you made such a, a strong point there that, um, you know, I, I don't have anything else to say to say there. What I do want to ask, though, is JT, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here because I think, you know, we pretty much agreed on Drew Brees being wrong there um, and definitely owed an apology. What do you think about the amount of, and Barkley alluded to this, Charles Barkley, the amount of vitriol he has received? Do you think it went too far? Because the only thing I'll say there is because – I don't know, right? A lot of this is internal debate. And I've told you, I've used that phrase, internal debate, probably so much over the last week. With what Drew Brees has received, it's not like he specifically said a racial or ethnic slur, right? Or mm -hmm. any sort of actual action, right? Because again, he did take a knee back in 2016. So it was the wrong quote, but again, not an ethnic or like racial slur. You're, you're trying to say it was racial, not racist. That's a good way of putting it. So the amount of heat he's taken from other players, whether on his team or outside of his team, is it too much? And the reason why I ask that is, and maybe we don't have an answer, right? We're, we're not going to be right here. But the reason why I ask that is, at what point then, going back to lawyerly phrases here, lawyer phrases, the slippery slope, right? Because at what point then does someone say or do something wrong, even though they they have done good thing after good thing in terms of taking heat from players? Because now you've got 
Guys like Malik Jackson saying, I can't wait to play him. I mean, the Saints have gone through Bounty Gate, JT. Yeah, you bring up a really good question. So I'll answer it in a couple different layers for Drew Brees. This is the reason I think he's received so much backlash for this are a few reasons. One, you kind of already alluded to it because of how much flack and vitriol Colin Kaepernick took essentially since he did this in 2016. And I think the other side kind of saying like, hey, like it's your turn now. You you disagree. This is not the time to bring that up. Obviously, the NFL has admitted that they were wrong with their stance on Kaepernick. And you still said this. It's our time to let you know that that stance we believe is wrong. That's one. Two, I think what people don't realize is, and this kind of gets lost in the shuffle, Drew Brees and the Saints are the face of New Orleans. And they've been the face of New Orleans essentially since Katrina happened, like you mentioned. And I think the thing that people forget about Katrina is a lot of people in New Orleans and a lot of people in this country who who still feel sour about the whole Katrina situation. This is going to be an unpopular comment, but I'm just going to say it. A lot of people feel like the country and the government turned their back on Katrina as far as going in there and helping them out. So you have a mostly uh, mostly black city and you as a white quarterback are the face of not just the city, but their redemption story and coming back. So the entire time that you have been there and you've been a part of essentially all their joy since the worst time in their lives in Katrina, you have been the face and they have felt that you are their voice and you are with them. And I feel like the reason he's receiving so much backlash is with those comments, they probably felt really betrayed because they more than anybody probably realize now that in their minds, Drew Brees is not who they thought he was. So I think that, and just combined with the, with the climate of what's going on in the country right now and across the world, I think those three things are why I think he's receiving more backlash than he did in 2016. Got it. Got it. So let's stay with the NFL. Uh, Roger Cadell on Saturday made what an NFL spokesman says was a direct response to a plea from a group of NFL players who directly addressed the league in a message posted on Friday and called on the NFL to, quote, listen to your players. In short, Goodell apologized for not listening to players about racism and that the NFL was wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier about racism. He specifically stated that the NFL believes Black Lives Matter. So, Donato, I want to get this from you. What are your overall thoughts on what Goodell said, and where do you think the NFL will go from here? So, I was actually surprised and shocked. Oh, you weren't the only one. He he <laughs> admitted the NFL was wrong for how oh. tough, how hard of a stance not only the NFL took but their owners took. Um, at one point back in, what was it, 2016? I mean, I, I actually was really surprised by this. Um, now, notice, though, JT, he didn't go so far as to back and personally apologize to Colin Kaepernick, though. Which is what's missing, and that's, I think, what it, has a lot of players upset. Exactly. Um, or even mention his name, right? Um, not only did he not apologize to him, he didn't even mention his name. Uh, so... To me, that was disappointing because if, if you are going to say you are wrong and apologize for not listening, well, then what about the apology to Colin Kaepernick, who 
you know, has been seen to, to have been the first one to do that, right? So if you're apologizing to the NFL players for it, unless he says, well, I, I'm apologizing to the NFL players in grouping Colin Kaepernick into that group, maybe that's his thinking there, but you've got to give a personal apology there. Now, to your second part of your question, that is all fine and good, the statement, but you have to take action on it now, right? You're mm -hmm. saying we were wrong. We didn't listen. We should have listened. So what is next? I don't know. And I don't know how many owners have made statements, but if I'm Goodell, you've got to get all the owners on board, right? Because him saying all this, again, is fine and good, but if not, if all the owners are not buying into his statement and his apology, what good is it? Right. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the owners run their team. So Goodell, again, I don't, I don't know if every, you're not, owner, you're not buying it. Are you? If every, uh, <laughs> and not a hundred percent, cause I want to see action and this is what I would want to see. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm kind of living in a fantasy land here, but I would want, and again, I don't know how many owners have made statements. I would want every team to make a statement similar to his with an apology. And then I want to see owners, and I don't know, maybe it is every one of them. Maybe it's some of them. I would want to see owners out there in marches, similar to Vic Fangio, which we will get to eventually. Oh, even we will though, talk about him. Even though, he's a, even though he's a coach, but I would want to see owners out there as well. And then there's got to be, you've got to make social changes as the NFL or, and, or donating to black lives matter. So in terms of the NFL structure though, you got to fix the management structure in teams, right? It's got to be better with, um, how do I put this? It's got to be better with the executive level and the mm -hmm. coaching level. Right. And we're going to get, you know, and it's got to be a complete overhaul. Yeah. Listen, you've got what, Three head coaches out of 32 that are black. Two general managers out of 32 that are black. Thank you, Kyle Shanahan, for those great stats. I mean, I like that's got to change. Mm -hmm. But to wrap it up, JT, also, and I know we're going to get into this question, so let me kind of lead into it a little bit. But you got to have teams – even if you don't apologize directly to Colin Kaepernick, which I thought Goodell should have, you got to have teams bring Kaepernick in for individual workouts to see if he can still play. And it's whatever setup, receivers, cameras that he wants. And the reason why I say it is twofold, so that it shows, hey, we are genuinely sorry for basically keeping you out of the league. So we want to try to make it right. But two – this would go a long way with the NFL players to say, hey, when you guys do talk, we listen. We've apologized, but now we are listening. Because you remember in that, I think in the video, or at least in statements afterward, players want an apology to Kaepernick, and they want him to have a chance. So this is your way of doing that. Um, and I think that would be great for the morale of the league. You've got now players buying in again to say, hey, they will listen to us on all issues. Not just, yeah. in the, not just in the they'll, film room. They'll, they'll feel like this is the olive branch that really shows us you're on board with what you say. Exactly. And along with those lines is the NFL has a chance right now, JT, to be progress progressive here and maybe even more progressive 
optic wise compared to the NBA. Oh, that's tough, but that's a good point. Um, you brought you brought up some really good points, and I'm not gonna really steal too much from that. But for me personally, as a black man, to hear Roger Goodell say Black Lives Matter on a video is something I never thought I would hear in my lifetime. So that that is probably what shocked me the most out of all this. And then I think it's a good start that they I think they donated an additional twenty million dollars to like social justice initiatives. So it at least shows the NFL is trying. I like that part, but I want to piggyback off a point that you made that you need to see more because you're not 100% sold. And this is where I agree with you on that. Let's not forget that one, the NFL never apologizes to anybody. So the NFL apology is a settlement. So for them to come out and say this is a big thing. And I heard that the reason that they moved to this statement as well is there's another video that came out last week with a bunch of like the big biggest faces in the NFL. And one of them was Patrick Mahomes, who is obviously the most popular player in the league. He's the MVP. Once they saw that Mahomes was on board with that particular video that was organized by the black players, the NFL essentially had to act. So I'm kind of in that same skeptical boat as you, but they could have, they could have done this back in 2016 but they chose to, instead of supporting them, they chose to strong arm their players instead of listening to them the way they're listening to them now, because with the current situation that's going on, it's point blank in everyone's faces. So in my opinion, every major corporation that cares about their image is openly condemning racism right now. So like Nike, everybody's doing that. And everybody, every company is really into social injustice right now. Shoot, I saw Ben and Jerry, they got arrested for protesting. So everybody's on board with this right now. And it's a little bit of a mob mentality. And that's why I'm not 100% impressed by the NFL. And I'm not 100% convinced. And I feel like you brought up a good point with some of the owners and that you need to hear from them. And I think there's a reason why we haven't heard from the real owners that I want to hear from, like Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, and guys like that, is because they pay roger goodell 40 million dollars a year to be the face of this apology so i'm not just gonna go giving them all the credit until they do some of the things that you said they personally come out and start making statements and they personally apologize to cap and i think that combined with i don't think this was really their idea but i can't fault them for running with it is why i agree with you as to why i'm not totally bought in now to say where will the NFL go after this, I agree with, with a lot of with what you said. I think that what you've heard is that coaches and like the staff and things like that, and even some of the owners, they're reporting that they're having those open and internal dialogue with the players. So I think that's the that's the the major thing that has to continue is they have to keep talking to the players, they have to keep communicating, they have to keep listening, and they have to keep understanding, you know where they're coming from and in that way i do agree with you i think that they can take a very progressive step in the league and they can get close to where the nba is because that is what's going to make the nfl and its players feel like it's an actual partnership because they're listening to them and i think what's gonna be the real strong test you're right they're gonna have to sign cap and get him back in the league because that's on every player that every player that's speaking out that's on like their Christmas list. Like that has to happen. But I'll tell you what, the NFL, 
will have to deal with this, I'm pretty sure, because I've already heard whispers of it. Everybody will be kneeling in solidarity at some point this season. White players, black players, coaches, everybody's going to be doing this with the understanding that it's not going to be about the flag. And I don't know how the NFL is going to spin it with their fan base, but they can't afford to fight this the way they did back in 2016 because I don't know what will happen. Like they need to go along with this and they're going to have to put their money with where their mouth is because I really think the, I think the NFL knows, and we've seen this, the NFL knows that because of kneeling, the argument was we were going to lose money. Fans weren't going to start coming to the game. We're going to lose revenue because all of our fans were, were not going to be on board with this. They were going to be upset. I think we've proven that that's not true. Kaepernick kneeled in 2016. Revenue was up more than ever. People have, people have been outspoken. Players have been outspoken about this, continuing to kneel, raise fists, bring awareness. The bottom line has not suffered. You know what's going to hurt the NFL? if they don't play games. So I'm not buying the kick anymore that the NFL was blackballing Kaepernick because of the revenue they would lose from fans. I just think this is how the owners really felt about the situation and they didn't want that. They didn't want to see that, but it'll be really interesting to see how they handle it because I'm pretty sure there will, there will be kneeling if we do have football this year. You know, before we get to the next question, I didn't know you were going to say that. So I was thinking, would is this actually an easy way for the NFL? To oh, it's an easy win. It's well, an easy win. Having an out, meaning there's not going to be fans in the stands, right? And people just can't wait for any sort of live sports, JT. Oh, 100%. So, so the thing is, even if fans, yes, maybe you lose some fans here or there. But in a way, I feel like kind of a cop-out by the nfl because absolutely because they, they don't have any skin in the game at this point in terms of what they can lose because like you said they're lucky just to have games at this point there's not going to be many many fans if any in the stands so mm -hmm. and we're going to be glued to tvs that's going to be the first time real action of sports because it's the beginning of the season because we don't know what's happening with baseball, like NBA, NHL, those are going straight into the playoffs, right? So people, are, I think, are going to be glued to the TV. Yeah, again, you might lose those fans that really just, I don't know what they're thinking, but, you know, whatever. The NFL doesn't need those fans anyway. So this is actually but like, you, you, they're not facing, like, it, it's a no-brainer. There's no, there's no real adversity. This is a related. Yeah, 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 there's no consequences to it. So well, it I've, would have I, been a I, lot better, I think, of the NFL if they would have supported it back in 2016. Oh, of course, because there was more to quote unquote lose. But exactly. to be honest with you, how many people have we heard, oh, if, you know, Cap signs or he keeps kneeling, we're never going to go to another game. Last time I checked, NFL games are still sold out. That Sunday ticket keeps getting more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. The red zone mm -hmm. keeps going up. That mm -hmm. fan base isn't going anywhere, but you know, tons of people are still playing yeah. fantasy football. Exactly. Like we're not going to stop that because because Ka Kaepernick is kneeling, and we're not going to stop that. People aren't going to stop doing that if he gets but, a job in the but league. But does it make sense with what I what I'm oh, saying? Oh, one hundred percent, absolutely. Like, you know, it it the, the NFL kind of squeaks out of it, yeah, because they've got nothing to lose. It's always easy to make a decision when you don't have as much 
as much to lose. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but you're absolutely right. But you know, I want to I want to kind of wrap this one up with you you brought up Kaepernick, we've talked about it. Do you think this increases the chance of him getting signed and also do you think that he'll get signed by a team this season? So, I don't think it increases his chances, and this is why it's not because He's, he wasn't talent, talented enough before or isn't talented now, even though we haven't really seen him in game action. But I, had, I think it has nothing to do with talent. I think what it, it is about, JT, is the ego of these owners. Because if they sign him, that would mean they, they were, wrong. were wrong the past <laughs> four years. And you were, you were kind of alluding to it when you were, what you, of what you were just saying. And, and so – and they would be basically admitting they only did not sign him because of his stance, because of the kneeling, and not even necessarily the revenue. It might have been their personal opinions about him and their personal feelings of the stance he took. I actually don't even think it was about the revenue. I think it would have been the backlash they would have taken, but also they just didn't agree with him. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it was strictly based on the owner's opinion. Right. I do. And if if I have to put a percentage out there, I would say, man, I would say like a 10% chance. Again, wow, I, don't think 10. It, I don't think it has anything to do, again, with his talent because I think we agree here. He, at the minimum, could have been a backup at the minimum the last four years, right? Probably a starter on some of the teams, depending on which team we're talking about. But the reason why I say 10% chance, it's maybe a sudden injury somewhere that they they need a quarterback because you got to think cam's gonna sign first right so right mm -hmm. there is one less job available um and i'm sure there's a couple other backup veteran free agents that teams are going to sign before they would look at cap so that's why i put it at 10 percent, just because i want to have some hope or faith that there there's a chance for them so you're saying there's a chance yes. um so i'm actually going to go the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So I'm going to go at about 80 to 85%. And I'll tell you why, because what well, you made a good point that I did not think about is that this is the perfect opportunity for the NFL to win. And there's really no risk in it for them. So I think he'll get signed because of what you said. It's a major PR win for them. And this would show that they really stand behind their message of supporting the players. And I think that this will be their way of saying they made a mistake back in 2016 without actually saying it first. And, and like you, you brought up a great point and that move is low risk for them to sign him if there's not going to be any fans or minimal fans in the stands. So that's one. And then also too, this is why it's a low risk for them. And this is probably an unpopular opinion, but let's be honest. I love cap. I, I wanted him to be back in the league since 2016. I believe Cap when he says that he's been doing his same training regimen every day for four years. But here's the thing. Cap hasn't played in the NFL in four seasons. So the odds that he's going to return to like pre-2015 form is slim just because players don't go away from the game and get better. Like look at but, Josh Gordon all the time. He's I'm sorry. All the time he spent away from the game. He came back. He could still play, but he wasn't flash when he was in Cleveland. I just think the best case for Cap is I want them to sign him. He'll be a good leader as a backup, and he'll really make an impact at some point as, like, the point man for the NFL on social justice issues. That's why I think 
he probably can make the biggest impact on the NFL at this point. All right. So let's go to college football. All right. So we'll come back to the NFL, JT, but let's go to college football. Also making headlines was Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. The uh, Clemson Tigers assistant football coach, Danny Perman, Pierman, uh, last week apologized for using a rate using a racial slur at practice back in 2017. It was used during an incident at practice where Pierman and former tight end DJ Greenlee, um, where Pierman said he made the mistake of repeating a racial slur after overhearing it. He basically was trying to say he was getting them to stop using the racial slur. Um, even though he used it himself. Pierman did apologize to Greenlee after the incident back in 2017. Um, and Dabo did know about it, had a conversation with Pierman, uh, but Pierman went unpunished. So, JT, did Dabo handle the situation properly? And if he didn't, what should he have done? I'm going to say no because he – He's it's really because he's being deceptive. And let me let me just kind of break down the situation and how it happened. So I think those who are listening can see how unique it is, because I think when people hear racial slur there's automatically like imagining, OK, there's this assistant coach. He's just screaming the N word at this player. So just from the accounts that the player former players gave on Twitter. DJ Greenlee was in practice. He was, I guess they were doing some sort of like blocking drill against the defense. And he basically let a guy get into his gap and the guy blew up the play. And the coach, I, I think it was this pyramid coach that got on him about it. And he was basically saying like, hey, why did you let this guy get into your gap? And then Greenlee was reported as saying, you know, well, I didn't let that N word through. You know, I did my job, blah, blah, blah. So what pyramid reportedly did was to your point of he went back and basically repeated what Greenlee said to get him to stop doing it and practice better. So I want to, I want to give. And, and that was corroborated by what DJ Greenlee did, did say uh, as well recently. So, yeah. So I just, I just want to, I just want to paint that picture so that you get a full perspective of what happened. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think this went so under the radar is because I think Greenlee, probably understood it wasn't malicious at the time but he probably was upset that he said it so i think that's that's the the that's the situation that happened but as far as back to your question about Dabo, yeah i definitely think he did not handle this correctly and i think the reason that he's that he's been essentially <laughs> i don't even know what the word to say for this is he's he's been butchering this is your the guy pyramid basically came out and admitted that he did this he admitted that he was sorry at the time he did it he went and talked to the players and said he was sorry and when you hear pyramid apologize for this he makes it seem like he didn't obviously he didn't mean it toward the kids per se but he just totally regrets it like i just i just feel that as a black person coming from the comments that i read him saying his apology so for Dabo to be backing pyramid and saying that he did just saying that he didn't direct it toward a player specifically, but to still back him, I think Dabo should have came out and said, this is absolutely wrong. Instead of trying to explain the incident like that, explain the incident is 
up to people like us, like people who are sitting back and talking about the situation. That's not Dabo's job. Dabo's job is to be there for those black players that he's in charge of, well, mostly black players that he's in charge of. And something like this happened that was wrong. And you should be coming out and saying it was wrong. It should never happen. This coach would be dealt with. And I think the reason that players are so mad, and then I know we're not going to get into this, but now that's why you're seeing today like DeAndre Hopkins and uh, Deshaun Watson are coming out. They're calling for, for removal of like, you know, names of, you know, former, you know, racist and slave owners that are ingrained all over that university. It's because you have to, if you're Dabo Sweeney, this is what you have to realize. You're, you're leading young black men majority and those young black players, hard work and success is why you're, probably the highest paid state employee in the state of South Carolina. So have some respect and make them feel like you actually care about them. And even if this guy apologized, you have to make an example. You have to let that coach go. Like, I know he apologized. I know the situation was a little unique, but you have to let him go. And he first should have addressed the team personally altogether when this happened, which I heard he did not do. He should have acknowledged that it happened and he should have made that coach apologize in front of the entire team which is why these players came out on Twitter and initially blew this story up because Dabo did not do this. And then you either have to terminate this coach or there has to be some sort of serious punishment for Pyramid. It's a tricky situation. Again, like the internal debate here, um, and, and I'll get to what I think Dabo should have done. And you're right. It appears he was not saying it specifically to a player. Like he wasn't calling him that. Exactly, exactly. Why you're repeating that word, though, even though the player may have used it to explain, you know, what he should have done better or what he did wrong. I don't know why Pyramid would repeat that. Donato, can, can I I don't I don't mean to interrupt you, but you you just asked the question and I want to say something in regards to that, that. Full disclosure, this will probably be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like when you ask that question, I think this is the right time to make that point. So my thought on the whole thing is from that from that perspective of that question that you asked is that all right so we know when the when when these kids go to college to play football or basketball they go to college in majority black sports the whole the whole thing that we're asking these coaches to do is we're asking these coaches and the assistants to relate as best they can to these kids right would you agree Yes, to relate to them. Yes, the best. Yeah, so that, yeah. I think that's why you that's why you always see these videos of like the like the strength coach and like the assistant coaches. They're dancing. The coaches are dancing. You know, singing the songs with these players, and you know, just understanding their interests in order to get close to them because that's how you relate with people. You get close to them. So you know that what most of these kids do, like. And it's and it's anything. It's whether you're black or white, you know, Hispanic, Asian, like when when you're a kid and you're young, or any person, when you get close to friends from different cultures, what's one of the things that always happens? You start to take on pieces of that culture that that helps you relate. So like music and sports are like some big things. And one of the things I've seen, just we've been in quarantine for what like three months now, almost. Yeah. Three months. Yep. You know what I've seen almost every day for the past three months? I've seen white kids and white families dancing all day on TikTok to songs and singing songs 
with the n-word in it all day now granted some people feel like you shouldn't be doing that some people like i would say you would never be comfortable doing that even if somebody gave you the green light but the fact is you see that because these young kids are getting closer to other cultures more so than past generations would be so if as as a black person if our music is is you know has this language in it and we're getting closer with other cultures and that music is what brings us together you have to expect that this is happening at some point and i'll take it one step further i know for a fact because i've been in a high school locker room uh We've we, we've heard this happen in college before with uh, with Dante DiVincenzo. I know that that white players and probably some assistants that are in majority black sports. I know they've been in the same situation that Pierman was in at Clemson. I know that happens. And. What I mean by that is saying the N word, maybe not directly to a player but saying it around them. So I feel like that probably happens more than either people know or more than people would like to admit. I know it's these assistants and these recruiters job to relate to these players. And to be honest with you, these guys spend so much time together, they probably do become really close and start to say some things that the, that the other one feels comfortable with. So I think it's a case by case basis and relationship by relationship basis. Some guys are cool with it, some guys are not. But I wanted to answer your question that way because I think that happens a lot. Yeah, I mean, we we see, you know, coaches dancing after wins. Um, and let's let's face it, they're usually not the best dancers. So I don't think it's completely no, I saw you the know, strength the, coach at, at Ohio State, man. He can get down. He was breakdancing. Uh, all, right, dance. all right, there's always, you know, exceptions, there's but there's always one guy in the crowd. But I think, you know, going back, I, I, I think you, you've, you know, you've said a lot there. Um, I guess going back in hindsight, Dabo, there is somewhat of a precedent set. And I always say this, JT, executives and coaches, the hires up, the higher ups should be held to a higher standard, right? I mm -hmm, think you've absolutely. heard me say that. I agree. So, when players, and I'm going to go back to 2013 here, and this is why I say a precedent was a precedent was set. Jameis Winston gets up in the middle of the cafeteria and makes some offensive remarks toward women. Right? He gets suspended one game for those remarks. At, and ironically, guess who he got suspended against for the game against Clemson? So that was 2013. Now you're fast forwarding to 2017. I think in hindsight, and actually even at the time, the minimum the coach has to be suspended a game or two. Because, again, he may have not been using it toward a specific player or calling a player that racial slur, but there's, there's no room for it by a coach. Oh, absolutely. Even he, if should he, be, is, he should be held to a higher standard. Like, you can, you cannot make that mistake. Even if you're trying to say, you know, if I'm like, hey, JT, you know, you shouldn't use this specific word. I'm probably not going to say that word, right? I'm going to say the letter it starts with or something. Like if I'm trying to get you to stop saying it, why would I then go and say it? Exactly. So, so my whole point is I think even at the time should have been a one or two game suspension, maybe even a little bit more. Because like I, you said, I thought he should have been fired, to be honest with you. But what I'm saying is 
I would not totally disagree with that if if they had either at the time or even now. But if they do, JT, then the administration also has to look at Dabo. And I think that is why Pierman will not get get fired. Because then they'd have to look at Dabo. Because like you said, he never made them address it in front of the whole team. It was an individual, you know, a private individual conversation. Which I which, don't know how, how you get away with doing which, that. Which that should have been had too. But then you go to the front of the team. And like I said, Dabo, if he gives him that one, two, three game suspension at the time on Pierman, then it says, hey, Dabo's got control of this, right? He's not letting things like that go by. Because Jameis, again, Jameis, based on remarks, and he's a player. He's not a coach. Like you said, these coaches are to help these young players. And how is that helping him by repeating those words? And I think you you kind of you kind of stole what I was going to say with your next question. So I guess go ahead and ask it, and I'll, I'll start with that answer. So now in terms of moving forward with this situation and for right now, the lack of action by Dabo, will it negatively affect Clemson's recruiting efforts, you know, moving forward? I think it will. And I think because Dabo's handled this so terribly and not just this situation, but just the whole situation since he initially talked about the whole kneeling situation back in 2016 to how they basically had to force him into an interview to make a statement about what's going on now with the protests today, the the football matters shirt. Like, I just feel like Dabo is just not reading the room right now and he just doesn't get it. But to your point with the Jameis Winston thing, I do think that's where it's going to start to affect recruiting. And I think the players look at it this way. They, players get disciplined and kicked off the team all the time for mistakes. Like, depending on who you are, you get kicked out, you get disciplined. And Dabble is in the public eye going to bat this hard for not a defensive coordinator, not Brent Venables, an assistant coach. Like, I don't even know who this guy is. And I'm pretty sure the star players in that team are like, oh, he's an assistant coach. Like, who is he? You're going to bat this hard for somebody that used a racial slur. That definitely sends a bad message and starts to set, you know, some division between the coaching staff and the players. And I feel like the reason this story broke is because kind of what I said, Dabo has kind of quietly been on this path of, showing that where he stands as far as his beliefs and his views, and it totally goes against what his players and like their views, they don't align. And I feel like his players have been waiting to call him out on this since the whole anthem stance back in 2016. And the fact that they, like I said, they pressured him in doing press conferences and he's essentially just bombing them is a bad sign for him. And to add to that, I think what makes matters worse he basically let Nick Saban beat him to the punch at Alabama. And Nick, all Nick Saban had to do was put out something that was written that I'm not even sure Nick Saban wrote. So that, to be honest with you, that's all Dabble had to do. And he chose to remain silent. And the reason that he chose to remain silent is that he's terrible at reading the room. And he is a Southern conservative Christian. And his views about just simple things are not eye to eye with the players that are that majority populate his team. And I feel like Clemson won't suffer right away because they're loaded. Like they got the number one quarterback to replace Trevor Lawrence when he leaves. 
But I think what's going to happen is don't be surprised in five or six years if they start to fall off the way Texas A&M sort of did when Johnny Menzel left. Because you remember A&M after Menzel left, they still got talented quarterbacks. They had what uh, Kyle Allen. I mean, uh, Kyler Murray, Kyle Allen, they had guys that are in the NFL right now. They had like three NFL quarterbacks at one point in that team. They still had talent. But what happened? The culture and the program just deteriorated. And it was because of like Manziel and some of the coaching stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with Dabo. Well, I got to disagree there. I I don't think this is going to impact their recruiting efforts. You talk about back in 2016, JT, since 2016, they've won two national titles, right? And maybe it's not as public as it is now, but you got to believe guys, especially the superstars, if the, if the culture was that big of a deal to them, meaning I'm not saying maybe, I'm not saying it's not bad, I don't know, but if it was that big of a deal to them, especially the superstars, the, 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 uh, who the Dexter Lawrence is, guys like that, they would have left like they would have transferred. But you know what brings them back? The titles and knowing that's their way to get to the pros, to get to the pros. So Dabo's still going to sell the parents and the players on his salesman skills, right? He's selling them that fantasy. That's not going to change, JT. And like you said, in at least the next two years, they have loaded recruiting classes. So what does that mean? That's going to be more ACC titles, playoff appearances, maybe a national title, top five teams. That's not going away over the next two years. And guess what's going to happen in four years? Unfortunately, they're going to forget about this instance with what happened with the assistant coach and him not, you know, suspending or letting go that coach. We're going to forget about these kids. You got to remember right now that you're thinking about in five to six years, JT, they're like 13 years old. They're not going to remember that. So it's that whole Alabama effect. They're going to keep winning. They're going to get the players. They'd rather sit a year or two on the bench because they know when they play their junior year, first round, second round pick because their team's going to be loaded. Now, the other thing here is you talked about um, – now, I'm not saying I hope it turns out that way, but, but I think that's just the way it'll be. It, there won't be an impact to the recruiting efforts. Um, and now, the other two other things – players currently on Clemson and maybe you can say well they've got to say it because they're on the team if they want to play but there's a lot of Clemson players now coming out and backing Dabo all right so you've got to you've got to take that into consideration too you do and the, and the other thing with Johnny Manziel and we discussed this off air I'm, I'm not bashing Texas A&M's teams back then back then but that was really one guy you cannot compare the level of success in the recruiting in the recruits that Clemson have brought in compared to those A&M teams. Or I'm sorry, you can't compare A&M to the Clemson teams. All right. Yes, they had Manziel Heisman winner, but the rest of that talent compared to Clemson, I'm not saying A&M was were bad teams, but they they were not they are not in the league of Clemson and Alabama. So no, I, I that that is what I'm saying the difference is he's going to be good the next 2 years. And then it's on to the next recruiting cycles and, and players who are signing will forget. So let's go back to the NFL. Vic Fangio, head coach of the Denver Broncos, said to Jeff Legwold of ESPN.com that he doesn't 
quotes here, see racism at all in the NFL and doesn't see discrimination in the NFL. <laughs> JT, what was he thinking? And how do you think this will affect how players play for him? Okay, so to be honest with you, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, if man read the room was a person, it'd be Vic Fangio. Cause this kind was, of like Drew Brees, right? Yeah, even more so because true, you're a coach of what's going on. You just can't come out and say this. But the funny thing about his statement is the ironic part about it is he's actually the beneficiary of the same system that he claims he can't see. Like he's the same guy that's benefiting from that. Um, well, that is usually the way it works. Right? Yeah. But for you not to see it, but to benefit from it is right. Is, that, that's what I mean. Your, your statement, that's usually the way you're benefiting from it of what you don't see. Yeah, you look at, I mean, he's a 61-year-old first-time head coach with zero head coaching experience, and he was hired over better qualified coordinators. So, uh, Sela, the coordinator, defensive coordinator from the 49ers, and my guy, Eric Bieniemy, OC from the Chiefs, who I consistently go to bat for, you got a job. The Broncos is a pretty, pretty decent gig. Like, that's like a flagship, like, franchise. Would you agree? Who the the Broncos. Denver Broncos. Yeah. 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 I mean, they've got three Super Bowls. Yeah. So you got, have you got a job. Yeah. You got a first time head coaching job at an organization like that. And that's the only thing why I just couldn't believe he couldn't see the irony because the rest of his quote was everything in the NFL is earned and based off meritocracy. If it was based off meritocracy, you wouldn't have got that job. But here's the thing I want to delve into this a little bit deeper because. I first listened to this whole interview and then I started seeing the quote and then I, I kind of, you know, looked at it in two different ways. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I think what he was trying to say was that players in the NFL, they get what they earn. And I think that's how he internally sees black players. And I think he was putting himself in the coaching perspective, because if you think, if you look at it, he's been coaching since what, 1979. And he's never been a head coach at any level until 2019. So I think that's what he meant of it's a meritocracy. You get what you earn. That's where I don't see racism. I think he was looking at the players from the black perspective. If you're, if you ball out, you get paid. If you are coaching, you work hard. Like me, I had to wait a long time. You're going to get that. And to be honest with you, I just really feel that he believes that because if you look at his record, he was a defensive coordinator for what, 19 years. Uh, last three teams he coached for was the Bears, the Ravens, the 49ers. Like those are all good defensive teams. And he's been passed over at, for a head coach since essentially 1995. So he most likely feels like he truly earned the Broncos job because he had the way his turn. So hence, that's why he's probably seeing saying, I see no racism. But with that being said, I would think that a guy like Fangio that had to wait that long to get a head coaching job at the NFL would then understand it took me this long as a white man to get a head coaching job. I can only imagine how long it takes a black guy to get a head coaching job. Yeah. Like and, why is Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan getting exactly. jobs before me? And Hey, I'm a good defensive coordinator, by the way. Right. Ravens, yeah. bears, Niners. Exactly. Like, Hey, yes, I've had good players, but I'm kind of the common, you know, thread on all three of those teams exactly so i would think him more than anybody would understand the plight of the black coach and how like i said how hard it is for those guys to get hired 
And I just can't believe he missed the mark on that because he is in that same boat. And I think he, I think he realized where his comments were insensitive. And to be honest with you, he made good on it. Uh, I know that he got together with Von Miller and a lot of leaders on that team. They spoke about it. They hashed it out. Von Miller and some of those guys came out and said it was okay. And then I know he was one of the driving forces along with some of the players that uh, organized that peaceful protest in Denver. I believe it was on Saturday. And he was actually out there being a part of it. So I think things are settling down with the players. But, yeah, I just can't believe he made that comment because you, you, you literally see it all the time. You know, you made a good point that I didn't think about of how long it took him to become a head coach. And maybe that did blind him a little bit to say, you know, hey, I've been passed over and over and over and I finally got there. Right. But you're right. Like you would have thought, hey, did you ever stop during those 30 years and think like, hey, why are these younger, more inexperienced coaches getting positions like the merits you've got more Vic compared to a lot of the other coaches that were hired so uh you bring up great points there that I didn't even think about originally JT I had no clue like what he was thinking but you are right in terms of getting into his his mindset because he later came out and apologized um and he basically said that he didn't see discrimination on the field or racism in the locker room. And that's and, why I think he meant that's where he's because he he's equating racism with black and the black players. And that's where he's not seeing it. Right. He's not seeing it in the NFL overall, again, in higher up management coaching positions. Because, again, if you want to go through the numbers, three of the 32 coaches are black, two black general managers. Now. I see what he was, you know, saying as far as on the field in the locker room. You and I, I think, are on the same page to say, well, you might think about it that way, but it didn't sound that way originally. And that's, then that's why that's why I, I wanted to watch the entire interview because, mm -hmm. like, we get the quote, like, oh, like headline, right, everything's we, earned. Racism doesn't. We don't want to take it out of the context, NFL. Right. Yeah. So, right. I, like, he was basically talking about what you were saying about you know how like everybody yeah. you know equally earns stuff on the field and stuff like that. So you're absolutely right. And he he did say in his apology too, I should have been more clear about it. But again. Like, if you're going to make a statement like that, okay, you, you got to be clear. I don't know why you would make a statement like that at this time because think about it. Like we were saying, that is not true at the top levels, right? The executives, the GMs, presidents of the teams, and coaches. You like, cannot, you cannot you, have that out there right now. Right, ex exactly. Now, what I will say in terms of um, two things here, going back to the other question, of how it'll affect how the players play for him is I've seen a lot of quotes by the players now because he actually, I don't know if you knew this, and I think you posted the Broncos marching on our Instagram, um, but Vic Fangio marched with the Bronco players. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He He's one of the guys that actually helped set up that whole situation. So I think he learned from his kind of – not a misquote, but his lack of explaining. Vision. Yeah, vision, explaining his quote, even though, again, you like you and I are saying, why are you even saying that at this time? But I think the players, from what I'm reading, 
they bought into him. They've accepted his apology. They've seen him out there. And they're, like, ready to play for him. Like, they do see him as their coach. So I thought it was going to have – I thought, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, how go. are you going to be over? How, yeah, how are you going to get a team to play for you? Like, I, I would be very hesitant to play for that guy if that is what his mindset is. But it seems like he has done a good job of communicating with his team, getting out in front of it. Because I think he said he moved up a team meeting so he could explain what was going to come out. And I think his action, along with his apology, has got the players um, bought in. And I do believe he does seem to be, you know, sincere about his apology. So I thought at first this is going to have a real bad effect, but I think the players are bought in and and maybe that brings the whole team closer together. Um, And even as a non-Broncos fan, like you like to see taking, hey, a, a bad statement, a bad situation, and maybe they can, you know, rally around it. Yeah, I thought the same thing, too. I was when I saw that quote, I was like, oh, gosh, he's going to get fired because just the optics around the situation, like we everything points back to what's going on, you know, with with George Floyd and the protests like that is not that is not the time to do that. And then especially for the Broncos, it's a bad look because you just let go of a young black head coach that didn't get rehired. So the optics are after what one year after one year, I think two. I think he was there two years. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was one. Okay. But just the, just the overall optics. And then you didn't do so well yourself. So the optics are just bad. If the Broncos were going to face a backlash, they, you would have been an easy person to cut and it would have been easy collateral damage for them. So he really kind of – he really was lucky that the players kind of went to bat for him because I felt like if this – if the players weren't on board with him, this probably would have received more backlash and they would have they been firing him pretty quickly without like a second thought about it yeah true true so let's go back to college football to a guy that you know you and some of our experts have been convincing me is probably one of the best college football coaches of all time so we're gonna go talk about Kurt Ferentz and the situation at the University of Iowa so the university has opened an independent investigation after multiple former players gave voice to negative experiences they and other black players have had in the Hawkeyes program over the past years. Uh, They have placed strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle on administrative leave pending an investigation into these allegations. Um, Doyle, of course, came out and denied the claims against him and stated that he has, quote, never crossed the line of unethical behavior or bias based upon race. Strong statements. I just want to know your overall thoughts on this. So going back to what you said right before you mentioned this topic, myself and the experts on this show before college football experts never said Kirk Ferentz was the greatest coach of all time. All right. So let's, let's make that clear, but he has been a very good on the field coach, no doubt, especially his recruiting efforts for the university of Iowa university. Now getting back to this situation, JT, again, it's an internal debate. This, I think, is the most interesting one because for sure, because based on the facts, right? I don't think there's any allegations of again racial or ethnic slurs, but that doesn't mean he hasn't done wrong. Um, and then the denial because, like, think about and we won't get into it, but the Utah, um, I think defensive coordinator, yeah, I think the right, defensive coordinator. Like, he's admitted and apologized. You've got, uh, we talked about the Clemson tight ends coach, uh, Pierman, 
He admitted to it and apologized. Here, Chris Doyle, and I believe he's the highest paid strength and conditioning coach in college, by the way. He's been there for 21 years. I hope he is. He's denied it. See, he has never admitted saying anything wrong or, like you said, crossing the line of unethical behavior or bias based upon race. So this is a really interesting one. Man, I mean. Can, hold on. Before you say that, can can I go back? This just could be me being weird, but mm-hmm. when when I look at that quote of never cross the line of unethical behavior or bias based upon race. So I think he's, I feel like he's that telling sounds lawyerly, himself. man. That sounds no, it, lawyerly. It, it sounds like I'm not a racist, but I do sketchy stuff all the time. Or I toe the line. Exactly. DJ I, Durkin, like. Well, Again, I mean, he may not have used a racial slur, but the allegations of racial disparity and the unfair treatment of black players, I mean, JT, that is, I I mean, you tell me, that's almost just as bad. I mean, because at this point, it's more of just the actions instead of words, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we were not in the building, so, and we don't know the whole truth. So, I I don't want to, like do a lot of speculating, but this is what I will say. And I may be wrong, but I heard something interesting on the television today while preparing for the show. And I don't recall who said it, but I was like, Hmm, that's an interesting take. And the more I thought about it, the more it was like, you know what? That's kind of become my take on this particular instance incident. So this incident not the actual incident, but just everything around it. The he said, he said. This is a he said, he said here, right? Mm-hmm. Like Doyle's being accused, he's denying it. And multiple players have been saying about the racial disparity and the untreatment of black players and how he speaks to them. And I'll pull up a couple um, specific instances that they Oh, I have about. a couple of those too. Okay. So this, the allegations and how it's coming out is like the Me Too movement, where you've got to believe the allegation and the victim. Like, we're not in a court of law here where we're saying, hey, innocent till proven guilty. So my thing is, if you're not believing the allegations, JT, then you're ignoring the potential victim or the victim's voices here. And if we had done that with the Me Too movement and the individual women in in, in those instances, guess what? those things would continuing would be continuing today in businesses tv right like we saw tv personalities being called out if we automatically defended the tv personalities we would have suppressed the voices of the victims so if we're automatically saying well he's denying it you know he didn't do it we're suppressing the voices of these players and it's going to further suppress them in the future and grow whatever possible culture is going on at Iowa. Well, you so, bring up, on, before you go on, you bring, I'm sorry to cut you off. You bring up a really good point about suppressing victims voices. So I was going to save this part for the end of my argument, but I want to bring it up now. And I think this kind of goes to maybe a little bit of the credibility of the players that are coming out and making these allegations. So ultimately what Iowa has done, I didn't know if you knew this, but, the Iowa program had a long-standing history of basically banning players from posting on social media. Did you know that? 
I actually did not. Interesting. So with these allegations coming out in uh, this strength and conditioning coach being under review, now Iowa has lifted it. So this will probably explain why you never heard about this, why they were there. And now you're hearing about it, not only because they're no longer at Iowa and now they can be on social media, but because of what's going on and everybody's being called out for, you know, any any acts of racism because of what's going on in our country. So I think that plays into a lot of what you said. Of It's a he said, he said, but also, you know, I think this kind of gives a little bit of validity to the the players that are making the, these allegations because they couldn't do this when they were at Iowa. And I want to, I want to take this and go into some of the quotes that they said. And I think you can see why, because they couldn't do this at Iowa is because it, because they couldn't do this at Iowa is probably the reason they felt the way they did in their quotes. And just to kind of give you the quote, the reason that Iowa lifted it in their quote was um, so that, uh, players could participate in the national discussion around injustice, racism, and inequality. So now they, now Iowa feels like it's important for them to have a social media voice so they can actually express how they feel because this is probably affecting them. And the strength and conditioning coach and Kirk Ferentz probably aren't having these, you know, at least, at least team or one-on-one conversations just to check on the well the, like the mental well-being of these black players. I mean, just think about, we bring up 2016 a lot on, on this show so far. Just think about all the public things that have happened since 2016, you know, the unarmed, you know, black and brown people that have been killed publicly that I'm pretty sure at some point affected some of these players mentally that they couldn't talk about because they're not allowed to do it on social media while they're on the team. And I'll read some of these quotes. It'll clearly show that they felt they couldn't go and talk to the coaches either. So I didn't mean to cut you off. But I just wanted to make this point. So this basically all started when a former player, James Daniels, tweeted, and I quote, there are too many racial disparities in the Iowa football program. Black players have been treated unfairly for too long. So he tweeted that, and this kind of gave other players the courage to add on to his tweet. Uh, Jaleel Johnson, another former player, tweeted in response to that, Coach Doyle is the problem in that building, and so is Brian Ferentz. And Brian Ferentz is the son of Kurt Ferentz, who is also the OC. He played, I believe he's a four-year starter at Iowa as a center. So he's the OC. So he's calling out Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach, and Ferentz. He goes on to say, things won't progress until those two fix themselves. They know they are a problem. Kurt Ferentz isn't. I respect Coach Ferentz wholeheartedly. It's the others in the building. And then another person who actually plays in the NFL, Amani Hooker, he plays for the Titans. He's a DB. He tweeted on top of that, I remember whenever walking into the facility, it would be difficult for black players to walk around the facility and be themselves as if the way you grew up was the wrong way or wasn't acceptable. And that you would be judged by that and it would impact playing time. So what it sounds like to me is, because these kids couldn't voice their their opinions on social media because of the ban, they essentially were basically trapped where nobody would nobody had any any surveillance on them on what was going on. So I feel like maybe what the black players are trying to say is the university knows we don't have a way to reach out about it because really social media is their only way to put their version of the story out without a spin on it. Because you think if you go to the local reporters or the local, you know, sports column in it's an I don't I don't know where they're located, but they're in Iowa, wherever they're located, that they're gonna believe, you know, 
some regular Iowa player or, you know, the Ference family, like it's probably not going to be in your favor. So the fact that their only voice is banned in silence, I can absolutely see how Doyle and maybe Brian Ference, the OC, could take advantage of these kids in that way. Yeah, I didn't know that about their social media ban. Um, and so do you think, like, I think I was made the right move in terms of putting him on leave, and that allows them time to look into some of the things that you have mentioned, to speak with the players currently and in, in former players um, before they make a decision on on his job. And, you know, both you and I, we never want to see, you know, people fired, coaches fired. You know, there's certain situations that calls for that 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 calls for it. Um, So I think I was trying to handle it right now the right way where they put them on leave. They're not trying to do the knee jerk reaction um, and they're trying to figure out the problem because, okay, if you instantly fire him, have you really looked into the whole situation? Because if that call, like you said, uh, Kirk Ferentz's son, and I didn't know that either about him, like if he's still there. And you haven't investigated and looked into the football uh, building and culture, then just because you get rid of one guy doesn't mean that that's going to continue. And you brought up a good it, point. It doesn't mean it's going to be discontinued. And just to add on to the point about Ference's son, and I, the one thing I consistently hear, and you kind of mentioned it and I mentioned it as well, is that one thing the players are saying is they love Kurt Ference. The former players are saying that they're saying it's not him. And they're saying it's these two individuals that they have to go and not him. But you're telling me your son is one of the faces of what people are saying is wrong with the program. And you have no idea. Either one or two things are happening. We know Kurt Ferentz is probably one of the highest paid coaches in college football. Either his responsibilities are too much within that program that he truly has to delegate everything to the people under him, like the OCs and the assistants, or the man knows his son. So, you're telling me that Doyle's been there for 21 years and you have your son as the OC. These are the two main culprits that are being accused and you have no inkling of what's going on. I find that very hard to believe. Yeah, I, I, I was g- going to say something similar to that. Like Kirk Ferentz, coaches nowadays, they're CEOs, JT. Mm-hmm. You've got to know what's going on in your building. We've seen that with Rick Patino, right? Like you've got Saw to- with Mark Cuban. <laughs> yeah, you've got to know. So like if you're Kirk, you need to be looking internally now and reevaluating your program, especially because it seems like the players like him. He's not necessarily the problem, but he's still part of the problem if he's letting these things, you know, happen under his wall. Oh, of course, because not only is it allowing, you know, a system that's racially making players feel uncomfortable, but it's also nepotism, which is like you don't want those in the workplace. But here I want to ask you an interesting question. I just thought about this. Do you think that the reason these players aren't calling for Kurt Ferentz to go is because they think that he's so removed from the day-to-day stuff because he is such a, you know, a big personality in that program that he's probably not aware? Or are they naive that just because Kurt Ferentz is out of sight, he's not necessarily out of mind and he does have a pulse on what's going on? I don't know. I think it might be they truly do like him as a head coach. It's just certain other coaches they don't like because of the way they're treated by those coaches. That's a weird situation. I just, I really can't explain it. Because players nowadays, JT, like they read the media, they see what's going on. I think if he was a huge, because 
the easy thing for the players to to say really would be, hey, he by him being quiet, he's condoning these actions. Mm-hmm. You know, now the thing for Chris Doyle and he's at least go by being put on leave pending in an investigation, he's going to at least have his side heard as well. So, and that's why I was saying with the knee jerk reaction, because I don't think it would fix the culture. And then two, again, because it's a, he said, he said here, I think you, Iowa has to go through the correct process here for both sides, for both sides. I agree. But two things before we move on to the next topic. Words of warning for Kurt Ferentz. One, be careful what decision you make on this because George Kittle came out quietly, I want to say over the weekend maybe, and sort of backed what these players were saying. He said he understood. One. Two, all I got to say is Joe Paterno. Be careful because if these players are telling the truth and you decide to keep not only your son, but Doyle, and this continues, oh, you will be fired. Yeah. And it, you know, and it'll be a bad situation for sure. Um, Going on to let's, let's get baseball involved here. Tory Hunter last week said on ESPN's Golic and Wingo that he had been called racial slurs in Boston a hundred times which prompted him to include in every contract he says he ever signed to have a no trade clause to Boston. Now, JT, will this be a bad look for the city of Boston and Boston sports moving forward, particularly in trying to attract big name free agents or even being able to sign their own, you know, uh, big name draft picks? Damn. Boston is that bad. He had a no trade, no so, trade clause in every contract he signed. So JT, I've in doing our research, he's not the only player to ever do this. Multiple players have done this. Now, multiple baseball players yes, or multiple athletes. In sorry, general? multiple multiple baseball players. Now I don't know which ones exactly because the list was very general in terms of. But there he was, ain't the there only was, one. There was two things. There was either this was in the contract or they came out and said they just didn't ever want to go there. Some of the guys we've known back in the 90s, Albert Bell, David Justice, Gary Sheffield. Now, I don't know which one specifically have had this in the contract, but Tory Hunter is definitely not the first one, supposedly. So, so but sorry to cut you off, but no, no, no. You actually helped me with the point that I was going to make. And I was going to ask you a question and I think you answered it for me because the question is, is Boston in trouble? And my initial response was, I'm not sure if this is a bad look for, for Boston sports as much as, is it a bad look for Boston baseball? So, because I haven't, you tell me if I'm wrong. I haven't heard uh, like Celtics players or Patriots players come out and, you know, say like they don't like playing there. So, let me get to that. So Bill Russell wrote a book mm-hmm. and he called the city. Now, remember, I mean, Russell won multiple titles here, right? Mm-hmm. Like he called the city a flea market of racism. I've and heard. So I, he's, he's we seen both, we, So we, we both heard in our lifetime that, you know, Boston has a, a serious but, issue in history of racism. We've heard that. But you've asked, is it beyond baseball? And so Bill Russell Celtics, another Celtic player, 
uh, when he was a rookie. D. Brown was held at gunpoint. They pulled him over, thought he was a uh, fit the description of like a robbery. Um, so, and the Red Sox, just to go to, to give some context to the, the baseball side of it, they were the last MLB team to field a black player. I was going to bring that point up. I think 1959, up. I believe. I was going to bring that point up. That's a very good point. And I think, I think Boston does have an issue with racism because obviously we've heard too many reports of that. And when there's smoke, there's fire. But the reason I brought that, that analogy up of, is it a baseball Boston thing or a sports Boston thing is because exactly what you said, um, the owner, the former owner, um, their history is as a franchise is sort of rooted in that of, that was 12 years after Jackie Robinson crossed over. Like they were, like you said, the last person to have a black player on their team. So that kind of goes hand in hand. You think about it, what, that was, what, 19, what? Well, you said as far as the Red Sox, I believe that was 1959. So that's really not that long ago. So there's people that are still alive that are probably going to the games. They probably have the next generation that probably felt that that was the right move when they didn't sign the black player that are still going to those games. And it's not just Torrey Hunter. And I didn't even know some of the other players had that in their, in their contracts. This just gives credence to Adam Jones from the Orioles. When he said that, you know, all these things in 2017 happened to him in Boston, you know, people were saying racial slurs to him in the stands. They were throwing peanuts at him during a game. Um, I almost forgot about this. Do you remember that same year in the middle of a game, uh, somebody put a sign over the green monster saying that racism is as American as baseball. Like they put that over the green monster in the middle of a game mm-hmm. during yeah. during a day where they were celebrating like the military veterans. So that just lets you know it. Then and I read what what Tory Hunter said. He was basically saying I didn't want to go there not because of the players. Like the players were okay. It's the people in the stands, and I think it's just the culture that still is surrounded in Boston Red Sox history because we're really not that far removed from it. And um, I'm drawing a blank right now, uh, the former owner's name, um, Tom Yockey, that's his name. So Tom Yockey in 1959 did this. That's not that long ago. And you see that things that the Red Sox have done to sort of change that culture and remove themselves from that era is, I remember when they, uh, he had a street named after him, like out, I think outside the stadium was what Yaki Way or something. Yeah, and they Yaki, changed it Yaki to something. Way. Yeah. yeah, they changed it to I forgot what it was, but they changed it to something else just because that just shows you that they they know they need to move on from this because the more they embrace the past, like those generations that are, that have been rooted and they believe what Yaki did was right, they're still coming to the games, and you got to break that cycle. So I think that's what's going on, and that's probably why the Red Sox have such a bad rap within baseball is because it true i believe it truly is the fans because that's how they that's how their franchise was built that's what it's rooted in but specifically to the question i don't think because i agree with what you were saying and you know i had the list of different scenarios um and i just i don't think that it's going to affect it at all jt because well because people want to get paid well but well but you can get paid anywhere, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, A-Rod was getting offers from the Red Sox and Yankees, right? I mean, they've done a 30 for 30 on that. So, but the thing is, we just saw that recently with Adam Jones, but players are still going there. Look at Kemba Walker, right? He took less money to go to the Boston Celtics. So, 
until star players stop going there, like it won't change with Boston fans and how they treat black players, plain and simple. Whether maybe not so much on their team, but the opponent. But I think because what you're t- think about Adam Jones, star player still at the time, like, you know, if you're a fan and they're coming out saying, hey, we're not going there, we're not going there because of this, they're going to stop doing it because all of a sudden, guess where the Red Sox are going to be? In the basement because they have no star players. I agree with you, but I think I think there's two things that we're arguing here. One, I think in, in particular to what Tori is saying is, I believe it is the fans. So that... Oh. I believe it is the fans. Hold on. Yeah, I mean, we're on the same. I I know why Torrey Hunter put that in there. It's not because they're not a good team or an organization. It's because of the fans and the way he's been treated in particular by the fans. But I think think it goes to – I agree with you 100%, but I think it goes to, like, you're like, oh, Kimba Walker signs there. I think that, yes, there's there's probably racist Boston Celtics fans too – but I just feel like NBA fans are a little bit – that's a different demographic. Like, they're probably a little bit hold, more – Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't go there because we've had multiple occasions on this show where we've talked about Utah Jazz fans. So you're kind of bordering the line that Celtic fans are similar to them now. So now don't don't switch up No, I'm not. I'm, that I'm, no, basketball I'm, fans are different than baseball fans. Because you got to remember something. With, ba- with basketball fans – they're much closer to the players than baseball. Unless you're on the dugout in baseball, players can't hear you. Even if you're on the dugout, they can't hear you because they're inside the dugout. Basketball oh, I agree different. with you. I agree with you. I guess the point I was just trying to make was I think I think the difference between the Red Sox fans and the Celtics fans, I think there's a difference, but I do think that Boston overall does have an issue with it. Um, but I guess I got to answer the question. Will it affect them? I don't think so. Cause guys are still going to want to get paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, like I said, if Kemba would come out and if this was truly something that bothered the players, he came he, out and said he loved Boston. They wanted to, it, wanted exactly. to stay. If when he was making his decision, he said, you know what? I'm not going back to the Hornets. I have this offer from the Celtics, but you know what? I'm not going there either. I'm taking the same amount of money and going to the Cavs. And the reason why I'm not going to Boston is because of, the way they've treated black players in the past, that would send the message. I just think that the way that people hold regard for basketball players and how they hold regard for the game of baseball is different just because of the historical context of those two sports. So I th- that's a good point. Yeah. You're, I would say you're, you're right there. Yeah. So, so let's go to, let's go to a sport that people claim we never talk about. Let's go to soccer and most importantly, the MLS. So this story essentially to me came out of nowhere. So the LA galaxy released midfielder Alexander Katai. That's Alexander with a K last week after his wife posted a series of messages on social media that the club described as I quote racist and violent Uh, in a since deleted IG post, his wife T wrote multiple profane captions in Serbian calling out on police to quote kill those that were protesting for racial injustice and described them as disgusting cattle in another post. Uh, T also deleted a tweet that showed an apparent looter holding up a Nike box to which she replied, black Nikes matter. Alexander, of course, responded with, I quote, the views are not one that I share and are not tolerated in any, any family. And he strongly condemns white supremacy, racism and violence toward people of color. 
and he threw out the standard Black Lives Matter uh, comment and ultimately took responsibility for the situation. Uh, my question to you is, should he have been released because of his wife's actions? So, man, JT, we've talked about this off air. Was I was going back and forth on it in terms of that specific question of him being, you know, released by the team of whether that was fair or not. Um, because technically he didn't write, he didn't post that stuff on social media himself, right? He is getting, he is having blame put on him and taking actually more so the consequences for something someone else did. Now, granted, it's his wife. So when we talked about this off air and we did that yesterday, and I really wish we would have had that debate. I wish we would have recorded, recorded that conversation. And, and right now, but we didn't, right? Because you actually had me flip my position because originally I was saying, you know, I, I don't think, even though I wasn't 100% sure, I was saying I don't think he should be let go because of the actions of his wife. Now, with that said, you made a really good specific point. So if you could re-explain that, not only to me, but more so to the fans, so how eloquently you did um, for me, that way they can see why I've, I've flipped on that. Absolutely, man. I'll be happy to say this again. So the, the conversation that we were having, uh, you, you initially made a good point that, hey, he shouldn't, he necessarily shouldn't be fired because of something that he didn't do. And, you know, you made a good point about how that can start kind of a slippery slope effect in the future. And that conversation evolved into, man, do you like, do you think he really knew? Because if you look at his quotes, he's basically saying, like, I, I, I didn't know she felt that way. We don't do this in our house. This, this never happens. I don't tolerate this. And excuse my language, but I called bullshit when we, we talked about this. And the reason why is because you're telling me that this is not a girlfriend, this is not a roommate, this is your wife. And they've been together for quite some time. And you guys are from the same culture, they're both Serbian. Are you telling me that if you are married to someone and you guys are both sitting there watching CNN, you're watching everything that's going on with the protesting, the rioting, and then all of a sudden your wife out of nowhere says, and I quote, I hope the police kill those you know what? Because she probably she said it probably said it in Serbian. They're disgusting cattle. I wish they all would die. Uh, I, I wish somebody would kill them. Are you telling me that you're in that moment you're gonna turn to your wife and be like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. Where are you getting this from? I've never heard you say that before. I'm shocked." No, no, you cannot be married to somebody and not see, not deal with that person every day and see them day in and day out and not have any inkling of that there's no way that happens and would you say that if if you were in that situation that probably wouldn't happen because you know whether or not your partner is racist you know that so when when you explain that to me that's like that's where i i um you know i flipped on it and if you look him and the team mutually agreed to part way so i think he understood the severity of it and he understood no matter what here i'm not gonna look good so yeah. let me cut ties hopefully this dies down what he's 29 keeps training he's got money and and maybe finds another team 
maybe not in the MLS, but just another country. So unless you want to add anything else there, JT, my question is then, because again, you know me, I'm an analogy guy. If I can fit and have an analogy to explain my point, I will do it, right? And so the analogy off air that I gave, you, you basically shot it down, and that's also why I flipped based on what based on what you said. I mean, so, it's, it's it's just simple. I mean, it's, there's just no way that that can shock you as as a married couple. That just does not happen. Right. And and that's why, after you explained it that way, my analogy didn't fit. I forget what my analogy was. It was I think I think, you're, I think you're it was an, like best friends living together and a best well, not friend. Even, not even your analogy was. Oh, if it's a roommate and let's say you have a high profile job and that roommate um, is sexist and I think they start tweeting out sexist comments mm -hmm. or something like that, should you be held responsible? And my response to that was, first of all, you're just a roommate. I'm not even guaranteed to hang with you. I don't really know you. I just live with you. I'm not dating you. Like, we're not intimate. But, yeah. oh, husband and wife? Right. Come on. You you know, mostly everything about that person. And, and that's why, you know, I, I think Ella Galaxy then ended up making the, the right move there. So the other question that I, I brought to you right before the show was and I don't know if you have an answer for it, but would it change if it was only his girlfriend and let's say they didn't live together? Would you still say the galaxy should get rid of him? So this is more of a hypothetical here. I mean, we're just you know, kind of going down that rabbit hole a little bit. Am I, am I answering that question as LA Galaxy President Chris Klein? Yes. Yeah, you're the LA Galaxy. Yes. Okay. So here's my response to that. I'm going to give you the same response that he gave. The decision, oh. dot, 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 was not a difficult one. Absolutely. Because I'll tell you why. One, because of what I just said. And two, because this lady doesn't even have the self-awareness to keep her mouth shut during the current client's climate situation that's going on. So that already tells me that this is a situation that the galaxy, if I'm Chris Klein, I don't even want to be associated with. Like, I'm going to end this right now. And basically that's what happened. They had to release him. And you got to think about it this way. This is another, this is something that I didn't think about until after we were done having our discussion last night. So she did all this in Serbian. So what that means is somebody that's Serbian thought that, whoa, this was too much. This was too far. And that's how she got caught. So she didn't even she didn't even read the room enough to realize not only is it not OK to be a racist American, you can't be an international racist either. And to me, that's the telling part of why I feel like the L.A. Galaxy, they move so fast that like I've. They they caught a race an international racist like no we would have we don't would have never known what she was posting if me and you would have saw those comments right right and to be honest with you I think that speaks volumes of who she is as a person and I think it says a little bit about the Serbian culture culture and I'm just speaking you know based on my personal conversations I've had friends that are Serbian are, are Serbian of Serbian descent and. You know, they've told me in personal conversations that they believe that their own culture, like, will act in a racist manner at times. And you take that to the point of what I was saying about there's no way he didn't know. You guys are from the same culture. They're what, like, early, like, late 20s, early 30s. Like, they're very close in age. They've been together for a while. 
I've had personal experience where people have told me like this is a part of the culture. And then you look at the history of the Serbian culture with, you know, like the civil wars and the ethnic cleansing with the Bosnian genocides in the early 90s. Like it to me, it wasn't a shock, but it makes sense why maybe she said some of these things and they had to let him go because keeping him says that they're behind him and they're behind what his wife's comments were. And trust me, the LA Galaxy don't need that kind of smoke right now. So speaking of more sports figures, then um, we've heard from a lot of athletes and fans, like we just talked about family members in a lot of different sports, you know, as well as coaches, owners and teams in general. So JT, who were you surprised by the most of who has spoken up? Let's I'm actually that. surprised by a lot of people because it feels like everybody has a has an opinion and they want to come out and talk. But um, I'll give you my top three. Um, my number one is actually it's twofold. It's the University of Minnesota and head coach P.J. Fleck. So they're in, you know, Minneapolis where all this is going on. Uh, P.J. Fleck came out and called George Floyd's death uh, indefensible. And then before he did that, the University of Minnesota terminated their contract with Minneapolis PD. So they they really came out really fast and said, look, like we don't stand for this. We're distancing ourselves from them. We're no longer going to use them for anything. So to me, that was probably my number one on the list of people that spoke up and I was really shocked about. Uh, two is probably Michael Jordan, because, you know, we talked about this before. He normally doesn't speak up on social issues and he donated, a, what, $100 million dollars to you know social justice initiatives yep so to see michael jordan speak out on something like this is something i thought i would never see in my lifetime so it was good to see him you know better late than never come to the table and then even though he normally speaks on these kind of things mark cuban to see him come out and some of the things that he said mainly about you know not coming out and you know so much saying that black lives matter but him being an advocate and strongly urging you know white people to have these uncomfortable conversations within their own circles to better understand why we are why we've arrived to where we have arrived so him doing that and also him going out and protesting and marching like i, I think i posted this on social media when i saw it they have a billionaire out there marching within a protest for this like to me that that is something i never thought i would see so that speaks volumes and then for him to you know kind of put his own people on blast and say, you guys need to have these conversations. Um, I think that's something that shocked me as well. So I, I really appreciate him doing that. Uh, so I've got Roger Goodell because just I actually, figured, I figured you put him actually admitting the NFL was wrong um, in that they have neglected listening to their players. I think that I was surprised by, I mean, to answer the question that was surprising to me. And I had mentioned that earlier and then I don't know so much surprise. Well, maybe a little bit surprised on this uh, for for this person, but more so impressed. And you know, I never give MJ a lot of credit, but I agree with you there. Donating a hundred million, I think it was the Jordan brand is doing that. Um, so I don't know if that's his money personally, but it's still the Jordan brand, which is good. But then I don't know if you heard JT. They dumped uh, the security company cpi as a sponsor uh this past weekend based on the comments the ceo made in the email 
uh, the CEO of CPI made in an email to like a former employee um, about, you know, wasting their time on certain issues and it should be focused on something else. So, um, you know, for MJ, the Hornets, I think even the Carolina Panthers dropped that security company as a sponsor, you know, it will take, take actions. I think like this by certain people to, for, for certain people to understand how hurtful their words can be. Um, so that's why I think what MJ and the Hornets have done is, um, like I said, not so not a surprising. It's more I was I was impressed by them. Um, so, JT, is there someone you are still waiting to hear from, or for them to speak up even more than they already have? Yeah, I have. So this is twofold. So I have three individuals, and then I have a group. So my three individuals are Jerry Jones. I would love to hear from him. Tom Brady, I would love to hear from him. He did it with the Ahmad Aubrey situation. I thought that was easier for him because it was obvious Ahmad Aubrey got murdered on video by two civilians. That was I think that was easier for him to come out and condemn, but I want to I want to see Tom Brady come out and lend his voice when the situation nationwide and worldwide is so, is so volatile right now where everybody's either you're on this side or that side. So I want to see Tom Brady come out one because he's he's made little political statements before so i really want to see if he's not speaking because of where he stands politically or he just doesn't really want to talk so i really want to hear him speak and i'm gonna i don't know if he's done this yet but i really want to call out and I've, i did it on social media i want to call out our own guy manny diaz i want to hear him speak up and be more vocal if manny if you did i'm sorry but i just haven't heard it um, if somebody hears this and they've got evidence of Manny speaking up, please send it to me. I want to see our coach, you know, out there saying something, you know, standing with our with our uh, with our black players. So those are the three individuals I want to hear from the group that I really want to hear from. I really want to hear from the big time coaches and programs in the South. So I want to hear guys like your Kirby Smart and, you know, some of these SEC schools and these Texas schools. I want to hear them speak up and I want to hear their opinion because whether 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 people think about it or not, most of these coaches are coaching a majority of black kids on their roster. So this is affecting them more so in the South that this is affecting them on a day to day basis because they probably experienced what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey in some capacity in their life. So this is for sure affecting them. So I want to see how long they stay silent because it speaks volumes to their players. Also too, um, I don't wanna, I don't wanna cut you off, but I wanna read this cause I almost forgot. Um, Todd Herman, I wanna give him credit, the coach for uh, Texas football. Uh, he, came, he had a very, very, very good quote. Did you see what he wrote? No, I did not. So go ahead and give me yours that you want to hear more from and then I'll read this at the end once I find it. Okay. I, um... You know, I, I really only have one. And in fact, they did speak up right before we got on air. Um, but that was the MSG company. All right. It was the company that owns the Knicks and the New York Rangers. And they finally made a statement um, on Tuesday. And... I wanted to see basically if 
James Dolan would say something because I don't know if you remember. Because he already week, said he wasn't. <laughs> right, because last week he wrote to his employees that, and I quote here, as companies in the business of sports and entertainment, however, we are not any more qualified than anyone else to offer our opinion on social matters. So, you know, JT, he had a chance. It's Dolan. Be, Come on. Before he wrote that email, because now I think it's a little too late, but he had a chance to change the way he was viewed as an owner and to write a lot of his previous wrongs and failures. And again, he failed, right? If he would have been one of the first NBA owners, one of the first NHL owners to come out kind of like what Cuban did, I think a lot of people in the Knicks organization, the players, as well as the fans and other players around the league would look at that, would start to look at them dif- differently, right? But the email he sends, that's what everyone expected. And so they were, in fact, JT, the last NBA and NHL team to make a statement. Think about that. Mm-hmm. In both leagues, the last one, he had a chance he could have got out in front of it. It was, you know, it's New York. They called him out and he, st- he, he gave a response saying that I'm not qualified to answer it. So you basically right. put your foot down. Right. And now it's come to the point where you had to make a statement. But guess what? It's going to get lost. That statement gets lost. because the, you're I'm, the not lo- try- I'm not even trying to be funny. The man literally, literally could have said Black Lives Matter and that would have been enough for James Dolan. Right. Like that would have been huge. But then, you know, he could have taken it another step. But anyway, now, I don't know if it's too late, but if he wants to make up for that, he should be the owner at the forefront of action for change for both the NBA and NHL. But I don't think he's going to do it. So, you know, that's so. So I've, I've found this quote and we're going to finish on this because I think this ties into my point about Dabo Sweeney and some of the coaches that I want to hear from in the South, especially. So uh, Tom Herman, who's the head coach of University of Texas football, came out and said this. Can the average and this was in response to the George Floyd killing. Can the average fan relate? No, they can't. There's a double standard, maybe a little bit. We're going to pack 100,000 people into DKR. That's the stadium where Texas plays and millions watch on TV that are predominantly white. Not all of them, certainly, but most of them white. We're going to cheer when they score touchdowns, and we're going to hug our buddy when they get sacks or an interception. But are we going to let them date our daughter? Are we going to hire them in a position of power in our country? That's the question I have for America. You guys can't have it both ways. To me, that was the most powerful statement that I heard from any coach during this whole situation. That is putting it all on the line right there. And I think, JT, like you said, that's a great way to end the show. Uh, it was a heavy episode. But, you know, these were conversations and topics as a sports co- podcast that, you know, we felt needed to be had uh, and were important. Um, so to the, to the listeners out there, thank you for listening. Um, JT, I thought that that, you know, again, was a heavy episode. You know, great job. I I definitely value your opinions, not only the ones you gave on this show, but you know, for the nine years that we've we've talked about it. So, and I think that gave some of the fans an insight into some of our conversations we've had over over the years, where it, it is a dialogue and a conversation back and forth with with questions in order to um, you know kind of uh, in, inform me, but even maybe inform each other. 
And I also also want to thank you too because I feel that this kind of gets lost in the shuffle that that dialogue of understanding goes both ways. So as much as you think you learn from me and I appreciate it, I do get to see your perspective on things too as well. So the fact that we can have those open dialogue and conversations, I think the way we do things, I think if more people did that, I think things would be a lot better. So I appreciate you too as well. Appreciate that. Um, and so to the fans out there, once again, please uh, remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you find all of your other favorite podcasts. And please remember, if you like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. Also, you can follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, our handle at JT and the Don. So JT, until the next episode, see ya. Peace.